0: He is risen. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. Hallelujah. 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 3 for I, I love it. The 3 for please be seated. That was fantastic. Wow. Wow. It's exciting news when the most brilliant disciple of the atheist Sigmund Freud sees the need for belief in God. As many of you know, the name of this student was Carl Jung, and there's a lot one can learn from him. But here's one thing he got wrong. It is funny, Jung tells us, that Christians are still so pagan that they understand spiritual existence only as a body and as a physical event. I am afraid our Christian cannot maintain this shocking anachronism any longer. And so, having cited this unfortunate remark of the great Swiss psychiatrist, please indulge me again with those three Alleluias. He is risen. He He is is risen risen indeed. indeed. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. The field of biblical studies is wonderful. You can learn all kinds of things about the ancient Near Eastern and Greco-Roman contexts in which the biblical books were originally written and you can learn those original languages. But as in any field, some people in biblical studies tend to make a few miscalculations here and there. I speak of the biblical scholar, Gerd Ludemann, and I quote, a consistent modern view must say farewell to the resurrection as a historical event. And so having heard that one more time, he is risen. He, he is, is risen indeed. indeed. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. The notion that you can keep Christianity without resurrection has aged about as well as payphones, in-flight ashtrays, <laughs> spittoons, hoop skirts, zoot suits, and those massive Televisions we used to have to cram into our living rooms, and the gargantuan pieces of furniture we used to hide them before the flat screens came along. You still sometimes see those huge TVs on the curb. I saw one of those this morning. They usually have five garbage stickers on them because nobody wants them. And who would want Christianity without resurrection either? It's often said that if the resurrection isn't true, don't come here to church. Go to brunch instead. And I was at one of those Chicago brunch meccas this week where I actually overheard the bartenders planning the cocktail menu for this Sunday, Easter morning, right now. And they said, well, we need to mix up our menus to bring new people in. And one employee offered, we could change up the, the Bloody Mary with a bloodless Mary which I guess is some kind of cocktail. And how I wish I had had the courage then and there to say, you know, that sounds like the perfect cocktail for someone without resurrection hope on an Easter morning, a bloodless Mary. (laughs) But because he's risen, we're not at brunch. We're here instead to drink from the veins of the risen Christ. And today, at least, just an hour ago, we offered brunch as well. (laughs) You probably know the great John Updike poem, Seven Stanzas at Easter. Let me give you two of them. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. (laughs) Or better than Updike's poem is this bald statement we just heard from 1 Corinthians 15. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ... We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died. Or Acts chapter 10. We are witnesses to all that he did. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day. Acts 10 is not a pious sentiment, a clever aphorism, a haiku or a sonnet. It is good journalism. They killed him. God fixed it, says St. Peter. And one reason that the resurrection matters so much is because it and only it addresses our root anxiety. There are lots of surface anxieties in our lives. And some of them cut a good bit below the surface. But if you follow those anxieties to the root and ask yourself, well, I'm worrying about this. What's the worst that could happen? (laughs) The answer tends to be somebody could die. It's about as bad as it could get. And that root anxiety of our impermanence and the impermanence of others is what drives so many of our other worries. And so the root anxiety is the one that Jesus addresses this morning, not just with his words, but with his body by conquering death and replacing it with the root peace of Jesus Christ. That root peace is why Roger Persons, a member of our congregation, when his wife Jean died while they were watching television together, was able to address her then and there, and say, walk with the king. That root piece is why Jason Long and I, sitting at the top of Central DuPage Hospital with Brett Foster, as the sunset beamed into the hospital room so strongly that I actually had to put on my sunglasses, we felt strangely, in retrospect, like Brett was preparing us for our own deaths as well. And when I think of Brett, my memory now skips from that hospital room to his funeral, where we heard these words from the Orthodox poet, Scott Cairns, about the resurrection. Not Jesus' resurrection this time, but mine and yours, because he's taking us with him. Here's the poem. One morning, you finally wake to a light you recognize as the light you've wanted every morning that has come before. And the air itself has some light thing in it that you've always hoped the air might have. And one is there to welcome you, whose face you've looked for during all the best and worst times of your life. He takes you to himself and holds you close until you fully wake. Every moment of peace you've had in your life is a tributary leading to that ocean of peace to come. But in our gospel passage, Mary, of course, like all of us on this side of death, she's not yet fully awake She makes first contact with the resurrected Jesus and it's about as awkward as Peter embarrassing himself by trying to pitch a tent on Mount Tabor at the transfiguration. Mary's problem is she thinks Jesus is dead and when she sees that he's gone, she consoles herself by saying, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And I wonder if that is her root anxiety in the form of a sentence It signifies confusion, frustration, maybe even a little panic. And I almost imagine her wandering off in a daze, reciting those words in some kind of stupor. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then the disciples show up, Peter and John. And of course, the best illustration I know of that moment in all the world is a train ride away at the Art Institute of Chicago. It's by the African-American painter, Henry Ossawa Tanner. And it shows Peter, kind of concerned, almost twiddling his thumbs because he knows he blew it. (laughs) And John, the beloved disciple, has this beaming look on his face as if he's saying, I knew it, I knew it all along. (laughs) Tanner suffered from racial prejudice all his life. He certainly believed in the resurrection. Still in our passage, John 20, neither Peter nor John stick around. But Mary, she in her stupor wanders back, still clinging to the best she can do under the circumstances. We might call her the bloodless Mary, wringing her hands as she repeats her mantra. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And then she gets who we all think would work for us if only it would happen, an angelic visitation. She bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And I hope you're catching that that's a reference to the Ark of the Covenant, two angels surrounding a void of presence, The absence that signifies that God cannot be contained. And the angels, puzzled, say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And her reply? They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Presence of angels cannot clear up her confusion. And so the Lord himself explains it to her. You want a job done well, you got to do it yourself. That's Christianity. That's the incarnation. He shows up. He's going to do it. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Now, that's got to be a reference to the mystical treatise, the Song of Solomon, God's pursuit of the soul. Whom are you looking for? God asks this to all of us this morning, and it doesn't work. Mary thinks he's the gardener, and she offers her good intentions and pious objectives one more time. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She still clings to her pre-resurrection agenda. On Friday, one of our speakers said that Jesus was loud on the cross. And I think he's loud here too. He's got to be loud enough to snap Mary out of her pious plans to anoint his corpse. And so he shouts with a smile, Mary! There have been a lot of good stories about Notre Dame de Paris this week. And here is the best one I know of. My wife, Denise, once told me that when she was there with her mother and sister, they were touring the cathedral, which was packed with tourists, when a mother lost her son. And my wife, Denise, knows the name of that boy, as does everyone who was in Notre Dame that day because the mother started to shout it. Dimitri! Three of those shouts caused the entire packed cathedral to fall silent. But she did not fall silent. She kept shouting. No, she screamed, Dimitri! Dimitri! Until he was found. And that, after all, is what Notre Dame's architecture is. It is the risen Christ shouting to you and to me through beauty. Shouting your name and mine, trying to snap us out of our own pious agendas, even our own ambitions to serve him. (laughs) That's what beauty does. That's what pain does. What tragedy, suffering, and joy do. They are all the risen Christ shouting our names again and again in the cathedral of this cosmos while this cathedral lasts. And like Mary, we hear him. We finally wake up. We say, teacher. And we cling to him as any of us would. That's what coming to church is. It's clinging to him. But then comes Jesus' famous line to Mary. Don't hold on to me. And he doesn't mean back off. (laughs) He tells her to stop clinging to him because he's got something for her to do. Not her agenda this time, but his. Namely, go tell the boys. (laughs) In all four gospels, the women are first. First. The only difference is the number of women who are present. In each gospel, in each of them, the mission of the women is the same. And it is from their mission that we get the message with which we began. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.